Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. I've had a few court appearances in my time here on earth. Anybody had any court appearances you want to acknowledge or not acknowledge today? Mine were due to faulty shoes. Unbeknownst to me, my shoes had weights in them that caused my foot to push down on the gas pedal harder than it should be. And I ended up in court a couple times for those infractions. Since the beginning of the year, I think, at uh, mealtimes, what year is this? At mealtimes, at our house, we have started a new tradition. I'm not sure you're going to find it in any parenting handbooks, but it was born out of a desperation, a desperation to try to deal with a house full of girls who, for some reason have petty and pretty steady streams of grievances against each other throughout the day. When we, <laughs> when we come to dinner, so when we come to dinner, I ask anyone if they have a case that they would like to present. So I've taught them, one of them gets to be the prosecutor the accuser of the cistern. While one is on, or more, are on trial, and they're the defendant, and they try to defend themselves against the accusations. Of course, I always serve as the judge, as I, I should be. And each side can bring witnesses, and they do. And they bring different people and evidence into the cases that are before us pretty much every day. Needless to say, the entertainment value is pretty high, and it allows everyone to be heard. Some cases result in the case simply being thrown out. That isn't going anywhere. And for whatever reason, the case gets thrown out. Some cases result in the prosecutor incriminating themselves. And then that is dealt with. And then there are some cases that do result in a punishment that gets handed down with great fanfare and authority. So they might have to give someone a hug. They might have to share their toys with somebody for a week. Regardless of the case, our goal is the same. Resolve the case. Close the grievance and close the case. Tonight I want to or today I want to speak on the subject 
Case closed. Case closed. Today, when you came in this place, there were accusations leveled against you. You're like, I knew it. These church people are judgy. That may be the case. Maybe some of you felt accused before you ever arrived on the property. You were accused on the way here by somebody sitting near you. I am not speaking about that today. What I am speaking about, and I want us to understand, is that there is another accuser in this room, and it's the enemy of our soul. There are many words to describe our spiritual adversary. The book of Revelation says of him, the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Now that word devil, anybody ever been called a devil or called somebody a devil? That word devil is a Greek word, diabolus. Heard of diablo? Is that Spanish? Yeah. For devil? Yes. See, I speak Spanish. (laughs) Diablo. Comes from the Greek word diabolus. It means false accuser and slander. That's what the word devil means. It's the accuser. And it says that he was thrown down to the earth. His angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. The devil at his core is an accuser. One who makes accusations. One who tries to bring guilt by blame and indictment. And I would propose that the devil's accusations against us are far-reaching. And in fact, in some ways, you would say that they can be true. He accuses us of messing up, of being sinners, of lying, of cheating, of stealing, and being dishonest. And in fact, the Bible is clear on this fact, that we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so these accusations and the evidence for these accusations that the enemy brings against us is many times verified in our lives. Consider what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans chapter 7, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Anybody identify with that at times in your life? 
I, I, I don't understand sometimes my own actions. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it. But what is it? It's sin that dwells in me. You see, the devil in his accusation gets to win this part of the case. That in fact, you are a sinner. In fact, you are wrong. And so he brings this up over and over and over in our lives. He says, or Paul says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Has anybody ever been that frustrated before in your life? You just keep doing what you don't want to do. Those Frisch's pumpkin pies are the enemy of my soul. I, I, I look in the mirror and I'm like, you know what? You probably could avoid all that. You could, it could help you a little bit. But I, I, it's just that good. I, I want to do right. I want to do things. And we could go down a list of things. But we want to do things. But somehow the will isn't present to do it. So he says in verse 20, Now if I do what I don't want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members." Then he says, wretched man that I am. The accuser has it right. I am a wretched man who will deliver me from this body of death. The devil has a pretty good case against us. When we look at the evidence of our lives, when we look at our history in life, we can find moments of hatred. We can find moments of immorality. We can find moments of anger. We can find moments of violence and deception and covetousness. And the devil gets to stand there and say, see, you've done this, you've done this, you've done this, you've done this. He's the devil. He's the accuser. And from our childhood into our adult years, the devil has a mountain of evidence to accuse us from, stacks of data to say that we're not who we say we are. He has miles of decisions that tell us we're lost. But I want to submit today another side to the case, and you know the other side to the case. Those accusations and this evidence is not the only elements that get to be brought up in the case and brought to the judge. What the devil doesn't want us to factor in is the role of the love of Jesus Christ. 
He wants to bring to us the guilt and the shame and the evidence of all the things that we've done, hoping that somehow we'll forget about the role of the love of Jesus Christ in our life. You see, God's word tells us in Colossians 2, 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. You were accused. You could close the case. You were dead in your trespasses. You were dead on the stand. You were dead standing in front of the judge. But he said, somehow, you've been made alive together. How is that? The evidence is clear. I've done wrong. The prosecutor has made him his case and it's accurate the case is pretty much closed but Jesus or the Bible says here that having forgiven us of all or our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands God made us alive by standing in the gap and by canceling out the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. The devil brought in front of us all of the accusations that should result in death. But that wasn't the end of the case because Christ stood in the gap and he canceled. Somebody hear that today. He canceled the record of debt that stood before us. How did he do it? This he set aside. This he took off the table. How did he take the evidence off the table? He nailed it to the cross. Bring up Colossians 2.14. He nailed it to the cross. How were we able to find somehow, somehow new, low, uh, new hope for our life? How are we able to find redemption for our souls? If all the evidence is stacked against us, it's because Jesus Christ set it aside and nailed it to the cross. Literally, he became the substitute for our sin. We stood there. We stood there facing the accusation, facing the accuser who had it all right. We were wrong. We were messed up. But somehow the judge of all creation said, you know what? I'm not just going to listen to this evidence. I've got something else to bring to the table. And so he got off the the stand and he got down and he says, I'm going to die on the cross and, and I'll stand in front of you. I'll stand in your place and I'll cancel out. Everything that the accuser has accused you of. You got to believe that today. Because that's my message today. You got to believe that God loves you that much. He nailed it to the cross. And I think one of the greatest things we can understand about Jesus Christ is that he did not come to the world to condemn the world. He did not come down off the stand and come out of heaven so that he could condemn you some more. But he came to this earth so that he could save the world. 
You may say, preacher, that's simple. I know that. That's the Christian message. However, I know in my own life and in talking to people over the years that one of the greatest deceptions of the enemy of our soul, one of the greatest deceptions of the adversary, the devil, the accuser, is that God is up in heaven waiting for us to mess up so he can punish us. And I think Christians, as Christians, we have to have a mindset that doesn't look for guilt and see guilt in every area of our relationship with God. We can spend a lot of times living our Christian life flinching at every turn, wondering if God is going to punish us here, or punish us for this. If I don't quite get everything right, what's going to happen to me? We're constantly saying, sorry, God, I, I, I didn't do that right. Sorry, God, I, I didn't know I, I, I should, shouldn't have been there. I didn't know this, and I didn't know that. Believing somehow that Jesus' sole purpose was to punish. It's a mindset change. May I remind us and tell us something? And maybe you've never heard this, but Christianity may seem like it's about punishing and condemning and judging. Let me tell you what Jesus told Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. God loved the world that he made a way for you and I to live with him through eternity. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus has not come into the world to condemn the world. The world has already been condemned in its sin. It's already been condemned to the, the, the wages of sin is death. But Christ came so that he could lift us out of the mess of sin. And it sounds simple, but to me it's profound. Jesus wants us to win. Jesus wants you to win. He's not looking for a way for you to mess up and then he can prove that's the wrong thing. No, he's wanting you to win. He's wanting you to make it. And so he provides for us a way. He provides a way for us through the cross. He provides a way through his patience through his love, through his forgiveness, through his long-sufferingness. He's trying to make a way for you to make it. Oh, hallelujah. And so Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He is acknowledging the need for help. He's acknowledging that the accuser has a case. He's acknowledging the evidence that has been stacked. So what does Paul tell us? He says, thanks be to God 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. I could remain wretched. I could remain on the the judgment stand. But no, thanks be to God. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. But with the flesh I serve the law of sin. And then he pins these words at the beginning of chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. No condemnation. See, when we came to Christ, it wasn't a providing a less of a condemnation. It wasn't an improved state of mind. No, the case against us is not just to, to, to try to give us a little help so we can make it. No, the case has been completely transformed. It's changed to the status of no condemnation. None. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so when we repent of our sins, we turn from that life that is covered and dead in sin, and we say we're going to be in Christ. When we're baptized in his name, we take on his name in the waters of baptism. And if you haven't been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, I implore you to be baptized in his name. We can baptize you today. But what is it? You are being in Christ. You're taking on his name, and you can experience. Experience the amazing power of the Holy Spirit that comes with evidence of speaking in other tongues. You can have the Spirit of Christ in you. And so that you can live a life in which there is no condemnation. Mm. You understand that? See, I, I, I don't know why this has been on my heart this week. But I personally think that our walk with God changes when we live with the idea that Jesus is our Savior rather than our Punisher. There's something about relationships when they're lived feeling like the other person actually loves you rather than living out of guilt saying, I'm going to have to keep trying things so that they'll love me. I'm going to keep doing certain things so that somehow they'll love me. I want to tell somebody today, you are never going to do enough to earn the love of God. He loved you while you were still a sinner. And you'll never do anything. You will never do anything to earn his love. Nor... Will you change his love for you? And when you are in Christ, when you put yourself in Christ, you accept the love that he has for you, you will realize that he's not out to punish you. He's out to save you. Jesus is pulling us up not trying to push us down. And I, I want to tell you today, I, I, I'm telling, I know I'm talking to people here today, you've been in the church a long time, but you need to stop walking around feeling guilty all the time, flinching at every move, hoping you don't mess up. 
Maybe it's too simple to say, but let me say it. Jesus would rather you go to heaven than go to hell. So he's going to do everything he can to make it possible for you to find him. He's not waiting up there in heaven, waiting for you to make a mistake. And there it was. I'll zap him. Got him. He's actually believing that his love is enough to draw you to himself. That he would stand in front and say, you know what? I'm going to take this punishment for you. I'm going to nail it to a cross. Your sin, your hatred, your malice, your anger, your violence, your immorality. He said, I'll take the punishment for them. And by doing so, maybe they in turn would be able to find transformation in their life. And so 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is what? Long-suffering toward us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There's this desire in God to bring you to himself long-sufferingness of God is such a powerful thing. And I hope you and I appreciate it. And I hope that we replicate it because it's powerful. Why do we try to give people chances and we let people make mistakes in our life? Where does that idea come from in Christianity? It comes from the fact that Jesus Christ is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish. He's patient. Romans says, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another according to Christ. Jesus. Ephesians 1, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. That sounds like God is pretty adamant, pretty interested in you finding him and experiencing his love. Because in our human love, our sense of loving, we would cut people off pretty fast, and we have, and we do. But God's love, God's love is patient, long-suffering, merciful, gracious. In Joel chapter 2, verse 13, it says, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Would you stand with me this morning? So Paul says, wretched man that I am, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, and he says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus But then watch what he says later on in that same chapter of 8. He says, what 
then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? God is for you making it. God is for you experiencing everything he has for you. God is for you winning in this life and in the life to come. God is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? He says he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Where's the accuser at now? If God is for us and there's no condemnation, who can bring a charge against God's elect? He says, it is God who justifies. Then he asks, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. It's the work of Christ that stands in the gap for our sins. So who can condemn us? The accuser. Oh, he's spouting off all kinds of things in your life. And when you do mess up, he says, see, I told you you were always this person. I told you you were always like that. You'll never be able to overcome that. And I'm telling somebody today that God has a life, a spiritual life for you that is more than just walking around feeling guilty all the time. It's a life that is built on the premise that God loves us and he has stood in the gap for us and there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so Paul says, what is it that really causes us to be condemned? It's when we're separated from the love of God. Isn't that right? When we're separated from his love, we feel that condemnation. But then he asked the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ then? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. How are you going to conquer the things in your life that need conquered. It's not your self-sufficiency. It's not your own goodness. It's not your own good works. That brings glory to God. Your good works bring glory. It reflects the image of God so other people can see his love. But your good works do not cause God to love you. It's out of his own love, his own goodness that he loves us. It's through him, through his love, that we are more than conquerors. 
For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you to see Christ today as your Lord. I want you to see him as the Savior of your life. Not as the one waiting to just punish you when you do something wrong, but to see him as a God who never stops reaching. He's never stops looking, never stops believing and hoping and trying, hoping somehow you will acknowledge his love and you will love him in return because we love him because he first loved us. God's love is in this place today unconditionally. Let me say it again. God's love is in this room today unconditionally. I don't know if you felt judged when you walked in here. It's amazing how people feel judged. We all feel judged at different things. We wear suits and ties a lot around here. People sometimes feel like you're judging me if I don't wear a suit and tie or I don't wear certain things or I don't do certain things, whatever. But I'm telling you today, that God's love is unconditional. Unconditional. It's hard for us to wrap our mind around that, but I'm telling you, when we understand it, we'll learn how to love people around us a lot better because we know we didn't deserve anything we got. I want to pray for us today. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray for this amazing church. I pray for the amazing people that are in this room, Lord. God, that you have brought us together and you have done an amazing work in our lives. Thank you for the hope of salvation. Thank you for standing in the gap for us, even when sometimes we don't realize it and we don't think about how far you came to take the evidence off the table and you nailed the evidence to the cross. Lord, I pray today someone would see the freshness of your love, God, the goodness of your love and the power of your love in our life. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you. Somebody say thank you to Jesus Christ today for his work in our life. Somebody repent of your sins and say, God, I'm going to turn towards you. I'm going to love you like never before. Thank you for the power of baptism. Thank you for even in our weakness, you put your name on us and you said that we could actually do something for you. Thank you for giving us the most treasured gift, the power of your spirit in us. Why? Because you loved us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.